Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On MeWe.com, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On Twitter, follow L-E-T Radio Show P-O-1. On Instagram, follow L-E-T Radio Show Podcast. On Rumble, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Gab.com, search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Again, our website is letradioshow.com. Hope to see you online soon. Calling us from Northern California, we have Janelle Perez on the phone. Janelle is a former law enforcement officer and also an author. She's author of the book, The Moral Police. Janelle, thanks for being guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Yes, great to be here. Thank you. Before we go into your career and your background, tell us about your book, The Moral Police, what it's about, where people can get more information, where people can buy it. So my book, The Moral Police, is on Amazon. You can find it there. Um, it is about my experience at my last police agency. I worked there for eight months. It's an agency outside of Sacramento, California. And I faced some circumstances that I felt were discriminatory uh, based on my gender and marital status. And so I talk about that in my book. I give a little bit of background into my life before my police work and then take you through a subsequent court case that I um, had filed due to my termination from my last agency. So that's in a nutshell what it's about. You were fired. Basically, the long and short of it is, this is something that happens quite often. You were fired because you had a relationship with another officer in your department. That's right, an off-duty relationship. I was separated um, from my husband at the time of our relationship, and I was terminated. I was on probation at the time. He was not, and he was not terminated. Right. I'm glad you brought that up. And here's the sad, unfortunate thing. Before we go into it, you you were in law enforcement before. You were an experienced officer. You took a break for a while, then joined this agency. And a lot of police that, that leave one department for another one tend to forget they're no longer considered experienced when they get there they're still probationary and when you're a probationary officer you can be fired for almost anything yes that's a very true statement and i understood that from the beginning i think what was hard for me uh to to swallow was that i felt like i was discriminated based on you know my marital status and gender and there are some protected uh reasons where you cannot be terminated even if you are on probation and that's kind of what i was standing by so I'm glad you brought that up. The book is called The Moral Police, and I'm sorry that you went through this, and I'm sorry that your career was ended, because from what I understand, you weren't ready to be out of law enforcement. Yeah, I was, you know, I 
I was enjoying a good career, and I didn't see it stopping. You know, I, I took a short break when I had my uh, second child, and then I came back into it, and I wasn't I wasn't ready to stop. So uh, it was definitely it was career ending for me, unfortunately. But I think it's you know opening other doors. So I'm trying to take the positive out of it. Good. And you've been out of law enforcement how long now? Um, I was terminated back in 2012, so it's been a while. And what are you doing now? Um, well, I'm a full-time mom. That takes up most of my time, but um, I work part-time for an au pair agency as a child care consultant, and I love that because it uh, provides me kind of an outlet outside of just being a mom, and um, I love the cultural diversity aspect. So. Look for Janelle's book, The Moral Police. Do a Google search. That's what I did. Janelle Perez, The Moral Police. It's on Amazon. You'll find it right there, and I'm sure it's a great read. Uh, your entire career was, what, almost eight years? Almost seven. Almost seven years. Okay. And you started off with an agency uh, near San Francisco, am I correct? Correct, yes, in the Bay Area. And before we go into that, you, you, a lot of people come from a background in law enforcement. They have law enforcement in their family. Uh, I didn't. Uh, my dad was a career Navy guy. I spent many years in, in a high school seminary thought I wanted to be a priest that wasn't my calling in life I went to law enforcement but you didn't come from that background did you I did not no my background is not traditional I guess in the sense I've met a lot of police officers who had law enforcement in their background Um, but mine was you know I grew up playing competitive tennis and that was my only focus so if you asked me as a teenager what I was going to do I was going to be a professional tennis player that would have been my answer so when I got to college, I really did not know what I wanted to study. I remember meeting with my academic counselor, and he told me, you know, find something that interests you. And so that really stuck with me because um, in my background growing up, I had seen a lot of my family members involved with drugs and alcohol. I had um, a relative who was an alleged gang member in my family, and, you know, I was very interested in criminal justice. So I studied criminal justice in college, and then when I moved back to California after I graduated, I was like, okay, it's time to, you know, start a career. What am I going to do? And I really didn't think I was going to go, you know, become a police officer, but it was an opportunity that was presented, and I decided to give it a try. And when I got into, you know, out of the academy and into real life being a police officer, I really loved the career, so... It's. I still have fond memories, and I'll be honest. I've, I have people ask me all the time, "Are you glad you're out of it?" I'm. I'm glad I'm retired nowadays. The way the culture is, would I go back and do it all over again? Probably. I loved it. I worked with great people. I worked in a great uh, part of Baltimore. The, the citizens were phenomenal. We had a lot of hardcore criminals. Don't get me wrong, but the vast majority of people weren't that way. Yeah. Yeah, I would say overall my experience in law enforcement was wonderful. I met a lot of amazing people, not just coworkers, but also people in the community. Uh, that was really important to me, um, outreach in the community. I remember fondly, you know, memories of um, volunteer activities that I did. And, you know, I, I'm the same way, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's some bad memories and a lot of bad people that I encountered, but overall the career was great, so... One of the things that 
we had so many calls for and the drugs and alcohol uh, it's funny that it could become a, a a prominent problem for a lot of people in law enforcement but it's something that we handle calls for service for all the time family disputes family problems domestic disputes usually alcohol and drug and or drug fueled and to to go from that background growing up and experience in law enforcement do you find that rather ironic yeah, you know, I, I really believe that it gave me, uh, I had a really good perspective. I was able to see both sides. I wasn't just um, looking at somebody thinking, okay, you're committing a crime. I can see, you know, the other side. All these family members, you know, that have had addictions, they were good people. I knew them to be very good people. They just had an addiction. And a lot of, very similar, um, you know, when I arrested people in my career, drugs were often often involved with identity theft, you know, with the guns, everything. Drugs were often involved. And so I think that was, I was really fortunate, you know, and ironically, <laughs> to, to have that background because I was able to see people for who they were. They had an addiction problem and they weren't bad people. They just made some bad choices. And I always hoped that, you know, arresting them, I was hoping, oh, this is the last time. You know, I, I kept hoping that for, you know, several, I'd arrest some, some people several times and I always hoped that this was the last time and this would be their wake up call. And we're talking with Janelle Perez. Janelle is a former law enforcement officer. Uh, she's also author of the book, The Moral Police. When we return, we're going to talk more about drugs and alcohol background and law enforcement and her experience working gangs. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. There's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Janelle Perez, former law enforcement officer, also author of the book, The Moral Police. Do a Google search for The Moral Police, and you'll find it on Amazon, all kinds of locations online. For when the break, Janelle, we're talking about, you grew up in a background where, first of all, I find it fascinating. You, you were a competitive tennis player and wanted to be a tennis pro when he grew up so many of us wanted to be pro athletes when we were little and then realized i just wasn't that good it, it sounds to me like you were pretty good at it but maybe just the difference between like a pro football player and a, and a high school standout is small percentages 
Yeah, I was definitely gifted. I was uh, good at what I did. I think what I lacked was the passion. So I was, you know, I, I played all the, t- I started playing when I was five and played all the way up through college. And I think I was just a little bit burnt out. So yeah, those people are all in and they got to be. I don't care what sport it is. They got to be all in from day one. And that's their entire lives. And yeah, before we get back to our conversation, I see football players on television getting hurt and they're crying. And the first reaction you have is like, well, yeah, they're a little bit of a, 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 a wuss, uh, being a little wimpy. But the truth is, this is someone who's trained at this for 20 years of their life, and then they have potentially a career-ending injury, and I never really thought of it that way. Uh, so I find it even more fascinating that you were a competitive tennis player. You came from a background where you were experiencing in your family issues of drug and alcohol abuse and how that affected your family. Did that affect you deeply? You know, I I have to give credit to my dad. I mean, he was pretty hard on me, but he kept me away from all of it. So I think that's why he get, got me into tennis so young um, to do something uh, positive in my life. He wouldn't let me play video games. He wouldn't let me go to the mall. It was literally tennis all the time. Um, and I think, you know, he saw what was happening in his own family. And so I think he did me a great service by keeping me out of it. But I, you know, I, I still, you know, I, I, now that I'm a grown up, I hear more of the stories about what has happened, you know, with several of my family members and it makes me sad, but I'm grateful that my dad, you know, kind of kept me out of that for the most part. Yay for dads, especially the hard yeah. ones, you know. They're all right. Cause I have, I'll let you know a little secret. I can be a bit of a hard, uh, you know what, sometimes with my adult yeah. daughters. <laughs> but we joke about that. One of the things that you brought up in the background uh, before we went to break, growing up you became more aware uh, of the consequences and uh, of people suffering from drug and alcohol abuse and addiction. And by the way, if you have someone in your life who has a problem with drugs and or alcohol, I always tell people this, if they're breathing in and out, there's hope for them. Don't ever give up hope. They can get better. They can recover. They can have really great lives. Uh, so don't don't throw them out. Um, I'm not saying enable them. Find what makes you happy, what works for them, and hopefully they'll get there. I say this all the time. In prisons, we have people that, A, had 10 minutes of their life that were bad, made, made a wrong decision. We have people that are in there due to drugs and alcohol. If it wasn't for drugs and alcohol, they'd never be in prison. And then you have a small, very small percentage of hardcore career criminals. Uh, and people need to differentiate between those. And However, when someone does something under the influence of alcohol and or drugs, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't take away the impact on the victim. Uh, that was victim. And it is a, an old metaphor, analogy, or whatever people want to use. Look, if I break someone's nose in a fist fight, it doesn't matter whether I was drunk or sober when I did it. Their nose is equally as broken, and they go through as much pain either way. So, and one of the things that happened in my career, you came out after me, is an incident in Torrington, Connecticut. Changed the way we handled domestic disputes. Uh, that, and it was big case law that came of it there was lawsuits everything else from that point on if we saw any signs of injury on anybody in domestic or felt that if we left that they'd be in danger we had to lock people up and there was no choice no matter whatsoever it didn't matter mm-hmm. yeah that's what that's the same you know in my career if there's any visible injury you have to make an arrest but you know what you said about you know if you're under the influence of alcohol or drugs um 
you know, yeah, they have to be responsible for their decisions. I think the side that, you know, I tried to always maintain was treating people with respect. It goes a long way. We're all human beings. We all make mistakes, police yeah. officers included. Sure. You know, it's it's one of those things that I think respect. And for me, it went a long way in my career to keep me out of fights, um, just just regular old human respect for people. We were so. taught that all we the rule of thumb from day one as a rookie, we were taught respect everyone always especially in your own home until they change the tone of the conversation and then it's there's no backing down but we didn't walk into someone's house and be disrespectful it just wasn't done because it made perfect sense you don't do that and he didn't do it on a street corner because inevitably it winds up pushing someone into a corner where they're going to have to lash out yeah yeah, no, I think that for me personally, you know, I'm a smaller individual. I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not 6'3 and have that physical presence. So I use my voice a lot in law enforcement. That was one of my assets. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. If, you know, if you're disrespected, something happens, a, a situation escalates, you have to take action. You can't just sit back. But, you know, for me personally, in my experience, that respect in my voice went a long way with people. So eventually in your career you started gravitating towards uh, gang enforcement gang investigation uh, is that a big big problem on the west coast more so on the east coast you know i know from my experience um in the county that i worked we did have a, a gang pockets in certain cities and i did work a countywide gang task force um for a couple summers and I would say that was earlier in my career. I maybe had a year and a half to two years on um, at that point. And so I, I honestly, I was a pretty new officer. But boy, was it a wake-up call um, going into these different cities. I remember going into East Palo Alto and my first stop, stopping a car with three occupants. We ended up searching them all. The driver, I was searching the driver. She had a gun in her waistband. And that was really just the setting for how things kind of went for me in the gang unit. Um, there were a lot of guns, a lot of drugs. Um, you know, we did do some responsive where we would respond if there was a shooting or a stabbing in, in a certain city in the county. But most, most of it was proactive police work. And I loved my time on the gang unit. I learned so much so fast. But I think, um, you know, it was really the foundation for me becoming a very proactive police officer. I did not like to just be reactive and respond to calls for service. I was very much into being proactive and uh, making sure my beat where I worked in the city was cleaned up people knew how to find me um that was really my goal so when i worked in baltimore we didn't have a big gang problem we had gangs street crews drug gangs all those things i worked primarily jamaican violent jamaican drug organizations they called themselves posses mm -hmm. they had members that were supposedly trained in guerrilla warfare by cuban forces called jungle lights it, it, but we didn't have the aspect you talk about uh, where you have known organized gangs, whether it be motorcycle-related gangs or street gangs or that nature. We return to the Law Enforcement Day show. We're going to be talking more with Janelle Perez about gangs, gang enforcement, and a lot of misconceptions that, that Americans have about gangs and the violence that they inflict on each other. This is Law Enforcement Day show. You can listen to the show as a podcast for free. That's right, 100% free. Just go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, you'll find us there. Or do a Google search for a Law Enforcement Today podcast. Be sure to subscribe today. Remember, it's free. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Turn conversation with Janelle Perez. Janelle is a former law enforcement officer from Northern California, also author of the book, The Moral Police. Do a Google search or go to Amazon and type in The Moral Police. Get more information about the book and get your copy today. When we were talking before the break, Janelle, we are talking about gangs, gang enforcement. I worked narcotics. I worked what a lot of people call flex units. Uh, we call them special operations, uh, patrol. I got was detailed at DEA. Uh, for almost two years uh, doing drug investigations and got promoted to sergeant and finished my career as a patrol sergeant. We didn't really have an organized gang unit in Baltimore. I know places like New York do, but it seems to be the West Coast. I remember watching movies like Colors and other things like that where gang units, LAPD, San Francisco, all those areas in the West Coast, it seems to be either they're more aggressive about it they're more proactive about it or they have a bigger grang problem than we do over here yeah i'm not sure i give since i haven't worked on the east coast but i know from my experience um here in northern california my first agency definitely had uh, more of a gang problem than my second agency and i felt like they were pretty proactive when i started there they had started a gang unit it was essentially um just weekends, so Friday and Saturday, when we had more gang problems, and it was in addition to your patrol shift, so I picked up a lot of that, and then I was lucky to get on the gang task force um, for a few summers, and that was countywide, but there are definitely, I would say, if I go down um, throughout the county and look at each city, each city has a gang problem. There's different gangs. A lot of them are Hispanic street gangs. Um, You know, we had, I know I've had dealings with the Bloods and Crips out of San Francisco, so it just, you know, Really, like there, there, there's a lot more gang problems. I think than people just see. You know that they don't, they don't realize in the cities that they live in. Um, you know, I have some not so not so great memories of you know doing probation searches at 13, 14 year old boys' houses, and you know come to find out that they've been you know shot in a neighboring city and murdered. And those are some of the unfortunate you know memories I wish I didn't have. Um, those were just little kids, and I think you know going into my experience working with gangs, I think it's so important to start young and talk about gangs, drugs, all of those things that come along because oftentimes in my experience what I saw was these kids got into these gangs and they couldn't get out. There was no way out of them for them. So um, that was a hard reality. And, you know, I, I did know a lot of the kids that I interacted with who they were murdered. And that was a really hard uh, part of the job. We look at New York, we look at like Miami, Atlanta, uh, gangs exist all up and down the East Coast. A, a good example of what I see in the news a lot is Chicago and, and the politicization by politicians about gangs and gang databases, things of that nature. They've divided gangs on ethnicity, race, whatever, and they're saying by keeping gang databases, it's a racist or ethnic uh, bias, so they're eliminating them. Have you seen or heard the same happening on the West Coast? 
Well, I think I've, I have not heard that since I've been out of law enforcement, but what I did, I know that I had to do is we had to document every contact we had. And so there was a gang database and that information went in there. I remember taking, um, I had several trainings, um, learning how to identify gang tattoos and what gang tattoos meant. And we had to make sure that got entered into the database. So, um, I don't know anything of the database stopping, but I think it's important because I remember searching for people based on tattoos that they had and things like that and so I think having that database is is useful to to the police so is it fair to say that a lot of the gangs are divided up either by geographics or by ethnicity yes absolutely in my experience it's um ethnicity and also area you know we sometimes we had feuds from neighboring cities that were the same you know they were all norteños for example um, but they feuded with each other because they were in different cities so i i think that's fair to say we had some of that janelle uh, where you had jamaican drug gangs from dc washington dc coming up to baltimore uh, and there would be big drive-bys and shootouts and, and vice versa going down. And I'm just saying that because that's the group I worked. It's what I'm familiar with. Uh, I know that there are other gangs in that area. Uh, back then, they weren't as strong as they are today. But I don't have experience, so I'm, I'm not comfortable talking about something I haven't experienced. Yeah. I mean, I've been, um, let's see, I've been out of my first agency since 2010, so it's been a while, so I can't speak to how the gangs are today down there, but I just know from my experience, um, you know, they definitely, the cities in the, in the county down there did, did try to be more proactive by putting more police on it with that high police presence and really wanting a lot of contact down there. So, I can't speak to if they're worse or better than 10 years ago, but I know during uh, the time that I was there, they were prevalent enough to need gang units. So more police presence, more police activity was beneficial when it came to combating violent gangs. I think so. And I think, you know, ta- just talking with people, like, honestly, for me, like I talked about respect. I was, you know, when we when we stopped people, if you had a good rapport with them, they might tell you something like, hey, you should probably come back around here tonight around nine, you know, and that was just this, uh, that was just them telling you like something might go down and, you know, you might need to be in this area. So I think, you know, high police presence in in those areas did deter um, some crimes from happening, not that they might not have happened later elsewhere. Um, and, you know, that was a big part of our unit, but a lot of contacts, enforcement stops, identifying people who are gang members, getting them entered into the system, those were a big part of our job. So many people are reluctant, in my opinion, to classify anyone as a member of a gang because they're so afraid of being labeled as racist or biased or something of that nature. Uh, and it's, it's very obvious that we have people of all walks of life, all races, all ethnic backgrounds, and the vast majority of them don't get involved in criminal gangs. Yes, that's true. I, I think um, from my perspective, identifying a gang member is, you know, identifying a gang member, and it doesn't need to be looked at as, um, you know, being something that's racist. It's just, you know, if they have... A dot on one hand and three dots on the other, there's a good chance that they're a gang member. You know, certain tattoos you can identify, um, you know, certain clothing they wear, there's ways to identify. They Maybe they're not full-blown members, maybe they're associates, but I think it's important for even for officer safety having that sort of information documented. So um, in my experience in law enforcement, like I did not, not once 
did I hear that, you know, documenting uh, was a, a, something that I was doing that was racist. Um, with, all the, with all the push for defunding police, one of the things I always say is, I, I know people want to view that as a, a way of punishing police departments, uh, but what it winds up doing, in my opinion, is punishing the communities that the, those departments police and patrol, especially when you look at things like violent organized gangs when we talk about a gang and i'm not mentioning names because i just don't believe in doing that but uh, what are they typically into what are gangs into is that what yeah. you're saying when you're experienced oh. what what did what kind of criminal behavior were they involved in um i'd say with my experience a lot of drugs um and you know maintaining their area their street credit um you know that was probably the most that i saw was the drug involvement and obviously with the, the with the drugs came guns and having those weapons illegally um you know those were i would say the biggest two we're gonna take a short break we're talking with janelle perez janelle is a former law enforcement officer from northern california she's also the author of the book the moral police do a google search for the moral police or janelle perez and you'll find both this is law enforcement Today show there's only one official facebook page what you do you do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show click like and follow there you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show you can contact me we also find unique one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles that is our facebook page law enforcement today radio show be sure to click like and follow we'll see you there don't go anywhere we'll be right back remember in the beginning When you first started to build a life for you and your family, you never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you. Now there's a way you can take back control with one simple call. If you owe $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you qualify to receive a free, no-obligation consultation on how to get rid of that debt for good. Call the Debt Helpline now. We work on your behalf to reduce your debt. We specialize in credit cards, retail store cards, and medical bills. One simple call is all it takes to get the ball rolling to a debt-free life. Stop living with debt and start living your dreams. Call the Debt Helpline now. 800-709-4389. 800-709-4389. 800-709-4389. That's 800-709-4389. Return conversation with Janelle Perez. Janelle is a former law enforcement officer, also author of the book, The Moral Police. Do a Google search for The Moral Police. Just go to Amazon.com, type in The Moral Police, and you'll find it. One of the hardest things about my career in law enforcement, and and by the way, I did a little over 11 years, got hurt and retired. Um, and it was uh, an act of violence at the end of my career. It was over very quickly. I wasn't ready for it to be over with, and it was a big adjustment afterwards. But one of the hardest things in my career, Janelle, was when we had moments of downtime, especially in a warmer weather, we get a chance to talk to the neighborhood kids on our posts, uh, and then seeing some of them and being there when they took their last breath four or five years later when they got involved in a drug game and they shorted the drug dealer one time too many or got ripped off or a competitor shot them. And 
I don't know that I could even come up with the right words nowadays to say, I knew this kid when he was 12, and I'm there, and I'm the last person they see when they're 16 and they're, and they're bleeding out in the street. Uh, those sort of things had a tr- tremendous impact on me. Yeah, I think that's exactly how I feel as well. Um, you know, you you build these relationships and you have these contacts, especially with some of these kids when you're doing regular probation searches, things like that. You know, you see them at their school and you get to know who they are and you know that they're involved in the gang and that sort of thing. But I guess maybe being naive, you don't think that, you know, they're going to die next month, uh, for example. And I think that those were the, that's what I really struggled with, um, was young kids losing their lives to the gang violence. That, that was probably the most traumatic, the hardest thing that I had to experience. Um, being involved with the gangs was seeing those kids lose their lives. I mean, those, they were just starting, you know, but they didn't know how to get out of what they were into. And so, you know, talking to the parents and having the parents cry on your shoulder and that sort of thing, those are all, you know, you can really sympathize with them. Those are their children. You know, they weren't bad people. And so to their parents, you know, and so that's just one of the things that has always stuck with me was, you know, the loss of life so young. So I think that's where I'm a big advocate of, you know, really getting into these kids when they're young and, you know, giving them, you know, other outlets, whether it be, you know, like a boys and girls club where they can, where they can go after school, but, but not getting involved in that gang lifestyle. So would you advocate after school activities like boys and girls club? I think anything that is giving them something to do instead of giving them, you know, they're going back to their street corner and thinking of, um, you know, crimes to commit or people to rip off or something like that. I'm definitely an advocate of being involved in activities after school. I think it's important, um, you know, and I also think it's important for kids to hear from other people and see what else is out there. You know, maybe their parents are working and they never see their parents because they're maybe it's a single mom that has you know three or four jobs and they don't see her till she gets home at 10 at night maybe they need you know role models in their life maybe they need those people to be telling them you know hey you know you can go to college you can this these are all these career options you can do um i think that's that would be you know very beneficial to some of these younger kids that don't have those role models i met so many kids that uh, had never been more than two three miles from where they lived on on my post and if Maybe they got to go downtown the Inner Harbor once in their life. That's all they knew. They knew the street crime in their area. That's all they really had experience with. Yeah, I remember uh, vividly a memory. I was in San Francisco, and I was actually working out. Um, I I don't remember. I was maybe 14 years old, and this is when... A relative of mine, um, you know, I I saw him at the park, and he was talking about... um, you know, drugs, and I, he was younger than me, and I was very confused at this point in my life. I'm not exposed to any of this, and, um, you know, this is the relative of mine that ended up, you know, getting involved in gangs, and I think, you know, looking back now, because I, I know a lot more now than I did then, um, you know, he had some very, very very hard struggles in his life coming up and he really could have benefited from some role models so i think um you know however you don't have all the answers to all the problems in the world but i think for kids you know having you know some structure and some role models and some positive after school activities could really benefit them 
So I guess in closing, what would you say to, whether it be parents, teachers, uh, community activists, what would you suggest to them that they do to try to help keep kids out of this horrible gang environment? It's so hard because, you know, gangs for a lot of these kids become families that they don't have at home, you know, if it's their their family away from family, the family that they wish they had. And so I really think education at a young age is so important because a lot of the experience I have working the gang unit and talking with gang members is they can't get out of it once they're in. And so I think having that education early on in the schools, um, after school activities, maybe, you know, role models having one-on-one, um, you know, somebody assigned to the, to the kids, maybe that start struggling. I think any of those ideas could really be positive uh, for them in their lives in the future. I'll say this, anything's better than doing nothing and acting as yeah. if the problem doesn't exist or, or that it's someone else's issue. Every now and then uh, people say to me, I, I've had people say, hey, mind you mind your own business. And my response is, this is my neighborhood, it is my business. And yeah, I can be that, I'm not quite the old guy, get off my lawn, kids guy, but I can be that guy. I was that way having dinner with my wife and and two young women who were uh, obviously down on the luck were prostituting themselves on the street and an old guy came up right next to me at this outdoor restaurant and started talking to him. And I led him to him, and he said, why don't you mind your own business? Uh, which is a, the number one bad response to say to me. And uh, But I did something about it. I didn't get physical, didn't have to do any of that stuff, uh, and he left. I think that people need to do more of that. Treat it like that's their community. It's their kids. Yeah, and I think getting involved in the community is really important. I know in, where I live now, we have you know an opportunity to get involved and be a mentor for people. And I think just... You know, I know everybody's busy. We have our own lives and kids. But even, you know, doing programs like that where you have you're a mentor for for somebody that's maybe 12, 13 years old and is struggling, like you can literally change their life. And so really getting involved in your community, I think it is so important. Um, you know, the police are doing the best that they can right now out there. And I really believe in that community they need to work together. Everyone needs to work together um, because, you know, the community, the ultimate goal, the safety of the community, we all just need to do a better job of working together. And for those kids out there that, you know, are struggling, maybe they have just one parent and they don't see them that much, they, you know, they could really benefit from those role models in their lives. I think it's fair to say you've become a bit of a role model for a lot of people. Uh, You went through difficult times growing up thank goodness your dad helped keep you in a straight and narrow you went into a career in law enforcement uh, and, and your career was ended not by your choice and probably a lot of people would feel unfairly but after your legal battles janelle you decided to write about it uh how long did it take you to write this book uh, it probably took about a year and a half or so. It was quite the, you know, should I do this? Should I not do this? I decided, yes, it was the right thing to do because, you know, when things first came down in uh, the media, it, I was portrayed one way, and I really felt like I deserved to speak my side of the story and tell the full version. So it was important for me to say what had happened Um but it was, you know, it was soul-searching. You know, I did, I'm, I'm by no means a perfect human being, so I admit my mistakes in the book as well. Um, but I definitely felt it was important for me to share my story and even help other people in similar situations. I had great sergeants when I was a rookie. And I had a lot of great officers who were old school, 
police. I mean, they were they were a lot of combat veterans, and they start teaching us: here's how you survive this career, here's how you police, here's how you treat people, and they told us a lot of things not to do. Uh, and and it strikes me that your book probably contains a bit of both. Yeah, you know, I it's it's so hard because I support the police and I have met so many amazing police officers. I think, um, you know, it was hard for me to write because I, especially like my first agency, I feel such a loyalty to them. Um, but, you know, I felt like it was important. There were, a, you know, a few people in my book that are mentioned that I feel made mistakes and it would have been nice for them to own up to them. Um, but, you know, I've I've kind of seen it all throughout this process, and um, this was my closure writing this book. So and that was really important. The book is called The Moral Police. Just do a search on Google or go to Amazon.com and put in The Moral Police. Janelle Perez, thanks so much for your service, and thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Ever find yourself in a situation where you can't listen to the whole Law Enforcement Today show? Never fear. Past episodes are available online as a podcast, and you can listen for free. That's right. The Law Enforcement Today podcast is free. Do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast, or simply go to letradioshow.com and click the Be Heard tab. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. I've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.